Listeners, our guest today is Andrea L. Rogers, and she is here to tell us about her new book, Man-Made Monsters. Andrea is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and she grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and graduated with an MFA from the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, and her stories have been published in several literary journals. Welcome to the podcast. Wado, um, I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. So jumping right in, our first question is always, tell us about your book. So tell us about Man-Made Monsters. Okay, so Man-Made Monsters starts in 1839 and goes through 2039. And it opens with a story that's based on historical fact. Uh, when the Cherokees, there was a band of Cherokees that tried to settle in Texas. They got there pretty early. Uh, they tried to work something out with the Mexican government. Then they tried to work something out with the Texas government, and it did not work out, and it ended really badly for a lot of them. So they were forced to flee, and they were massacred July 16th, 1839 in Texas. And that's the same year that the Cherokee uh, down in Georgia were being removed, along with a whole bunch of other southeastern tribes. It's something people refer to generally as the Trail of Tears. Didn't just impact the Cherokee, all you know, it impacted everyone, but this, all the southeastern tribes were, were being forced out. And we were one of the last in that part to go because we um, litigated and tried to get the U.S. to follow the laws it had set, <laughs> mm -hmm. did not work out. And so we were forced to all remove to uh, what we now call Oklahoma. But um, there was a small band of, of Cherokees and other tribes sort of mixed in together uh, there in Texas and they were massacred. I did not learn about that until I moved to Texas. And so there's so much uh, native history. I mean, and I'm Cherokee, so, but I grew up in Tulsa, kind of learned the same thing everybody else did. Mm -hmm. It was all around me, but in some ways, you know, so much was invisible, so much was unseen, so much had not been written about. And it certainly hadn't been written about from a native perspective or from a Cherokee perspective. And so when I got to uh, Dallas and I was a teacher and working in the American Indian Ed program, that's when I learned about what had happened. And so then it was many, many, many years later, and I read a fabulous book called um, Conquest of Texas, uh, Ethnic Cleansing and a Promised Land by Gary C. Anderson, published by the University of Oklahoma. And it, it told me the history of the indigenous people, uh, the indigenous tribes of Texas, not just the Cherokee, but the Lipan, uh, the Comanche, the Apache, such a great book. And I learned so much. And I thought, gosh, no, you know, here I am. I've been in Texas. Nobody knows this. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've only been in Texas a few years, yet, you know, all these other people who are in Texas have learned a false version of the history of like the Karankawa as cannibals, which isn't really true. Um, and so, you know, it was very much a history that posited that, you know, Texas was better off without natives. <laughs> and so, I went to IAIA and I was working on a book that I thought would be really literary, right? Capital L literary, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, you know, the kind of thing that you imagine will, will get picked up as, as a bestseller and read in classrooms later. Right. And so I was working on something like that. And then I started writing werewolf stories <laughs> and I was like, um, because I was taught, I was thinking a lot about the things that influenced me when I was a kid. And as a mom, you know, 25 years ago when my daughter was born, I went and looked for books by Cherokee people or about Cherokee people that that had good representation, accurate representation, contemporary representation, and it wasn't there. The only thing I could find was stuff written by Cynthia Lytek-Smith, and she's amazing. She's just, she's mm -hmm. amazing. 
And so she had written Indian Shoes and she had written Jingle Dancer and she had written, I think, Rain is Not My Indian Name. But, I mean, that was it. And she's Muskogee Creek. So um, she's Muskogee. And so, I mean, but that was all I could find my, for my kid. Now, now, to be fair, there were small independent presses and smaller places where you could find the books, but, but they weren't like in my public library. And so um, I really had to hunt for them. And so mm-hmm. when I was at IAI working on my MFA, I was really thinking a lot about the books that I wanted to see in the world, the books that I wish I had had to read when I was 12, um, books that presented Native people in non-stereotypical ways. Uh, you know, they, the characters don't have to be perfect, but <laughs> there's fetishism and then there's, you know, the negative stereotypes mm-hmm. where everyone is, is, is broken. And you don't get positive examples of family when you see, when that's all, when that's all you have. And so one of the books that was really influential for me, because I grew up in Tulsa, was The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. So Essie Hinton's book takes place in Tulsa. And um, the school that she actually went to is Will Rogers High School. Well, I have Cherokee friends who graduated from Will Rogers High School. But if you read The Outsiders, there really aren't any Native people that show up. And I think that's fine because <laughs> because you have to you have to do what you can do realistically and do well and and in a respectful way or non stereotypical way. And that's hard to do when you mm-hmm. when you're talking about a culture that you live outside of. And so, but I thought, you know, when I was a kid, I always thought, oh gosh, I want to write a book by the time I'm 18. I want to, you know, before I go to college, I want to have something that will be in every classroom, you know, for for 100 years. So I started writing a a story about a greaser, basically, who gets turned into a werewolf and um, and who attacks his sister. Uh, One of my mentors at that time was Manuel Gonzalez. And I said, you know, I'm working on this and I, I think it's an important book. I think people should read it. I said, you know, people don't know the history of, of what happened with the corruption in Oklahoma that led to the murder of Native people and that led to our land being stolen and our, you know, anyone who had wealth having that stolen and people being murdered uh, for basically land and money in the 20s. And I said, but I just wrote this werewolf story and I love it. And I said, I... And now I have more ideas for stories like this because I'm thinking about, I used to sit down and watch plenty scary movies on Friday night with my dad. My dad's Cherokee. And that has nothing to do with that. But he's, he's where my Cherokee ancestry comes from. And so he loved those movies. So we'd sit and watch the the, the, the Universal Monsters together. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing, you know, like, oh, what about this Universal Monster? And so I had picked the title Man-Made Monsters and knew that was going to be the title of a Frankenstein story before I had ever written Man-Made Monsters, the title story. Mm-hmm. And so um, because I kept going, okay, well, well, what about werewolves? What about vampires? Because Native people would like to see themselves in things mm-hmm. like, if you, if you know about how well prey has done a lot of native people are super excited to see a comanche character in uh, in a franchise like that and so we would have loved to seen ourselves and can you know just being a normal person mm-hmm. in in a werewolf movie or a frankenstein movie or and mm-hmm. not being fetishized and so just being normal people who have everyday problems and then throw in a werewolf and it gets a little more complicated yeah and so plus i mean we definitely i think when you're the only native person in the room you you identify with that outsider right you identify mm-hmm. with someone who um the world says is monstrous 
not because we're monstrous, but because we're different, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I started writing those, and, and so I asked Manuel what I should do, and he said, he said, write where your heart is, and so that's what I did. And I'm really grateful I did. <laughs> I thought when I left, um, you know, everyone kept telling me. I mean, if you had listened to public, you know, publishing, it was like oh, you can't sell a short story collection. You know, you got to work for years and years and years before you can sell a short story collection. And I was like, mm, we'll see. <laughs> so, Yeah, don't listen to the naysayers. <laughs> right, and don't chase trends. I mm -hmm. mean, the worst thing to do in the world to me is to chase trends. I mean, you mm -hmm. have to write the book that, that right where the heat is, uh, you know, right where your heart is and, and write that. And yeah, absolutely. So are you a horror fan in general? Do you go and watch horror movies? Are you attracted? Oh, have you always been attracted to darker stories? Um, uh, well, Spotify will tell you that I am spooky and sentimental um, when it <laughs> evaluates my playlist <laughs> at the end of the year. And I probably am. And no, I definitely am. And so when I was like, I did, you know, we used to watch those Universal Monster movies every Friday night. So I loved scary stories. I loved scary movies. And then when I got older... Well, and I read like Stephen, I read a bunch of stuff I shouldn't have been reading when I was 12, right? Yeah, <laughs> so was, me too. <laughs> I was reading Carrie. I was reading um, The Stand in high school. I was reading, oh gosh, what is, not Christine, but oh, The Shining, duh. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I was reading all of the stuff that maybe was, it. I shouldn't have maybe been reading that. And so a couple of things there, um, there's this space where kids want horror, um, but they, they, they they're either having to read like middle grade horror like goosebumps or mm -hmm. you're jumping up to to the stand which is just mm -hmm. inappropriate for a 12 year old <laughs> and mm -hmm. so i was sort of had that problem but I, the additional problem i had was as a native person i mean you're when native people show up in those books it, some of my favorite some books i loved like ghost story then you've got this whole weirdness with the manitou who's sort of this native spirit or mm -hmm. you know land. anyway so it's it just became obvious that one, it was problematic. <laughs> they were problematic and I just couldn't get past it. And it may have been com compounded by the fact that often there was a lot of misogyny in, in the horror that was popular, um, the way women were portrayed and that extended especially to horror movies. And mm -hmm. so I'm gonna say, I kind of walked away from that stuff. And then when I had kids, I was like, I can't watch anything with violence against children. <laughs> and so, and I just couldn't deal with it. Plus right. I had them running around. And so what, when I got to IAI, I read a story that's, I read part of a story that's actually the last story in this collection, uh, The Zombies Attack the drive, at the Drive-In. And I read a portion of it. And when I got done, I was standing outside where every was standing outside talking. I was talking to Tony Jensen who wrote Carrie. Mm -hmm. And she said, she came up to me and she said, I said, well, what did you think? And she said, well, I think we need to get you in a room with Stephen Graham Jones. And I didn't know who Stephen Graham Jones was. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. this was, um, you know, 2017. Mm -hmm. And so he hadn't gotten, he hadn't hit big like he has now. And so I didn't know who he was. So I, um, and then Manuel, when we were in class and I had read my werewolf story, Greaser werewolf story, um, Manuel was like, the only other native person doing something like this is Stephen Graham Jones that I know of. And mm -hmm. I was like, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And so I started, <laughs> so then I went and read, you know, then I, I, I read everything he had written as far as books and novels and short story collections. And, you know, he's been doing this for over 20 years and it was so exciting to read horror that 
that fit with my worldview, mm -hmm. that left space for native people. Um, because whether he said it or not, his char char characters were always native. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, he just sort of, you know, there were a lot of times where he didn't mention it. I started reading him and then I started reading, and then Victor Laval was, was doing work and he had written The Changeling and The Ballad of Black Tom. And so I read The Ballad of Black Tom, the novella, and in that, if you don't get a sense of the history of black people in Harlem and the twenties, you're just not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, this is so great. Cause I felt like Victor knew so much about that area. I mean, he, he, I could see it. I could see it in a way I had never seen it before. And then he throws in Cthulhu, right? Then he throws mm -hmm. in Lovecraft who is problematic. And then mm -hmm. Laval, 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 sorry, Laval, um, humanizes a, a character that Lovecraft had created in a completely racist way. And, and he makes him, he centers him. He centers the black experience in Harlem in the 1920s. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so uh, Paul Tremblay is writing great stuff. Um, so it was really exciting to see that horror had kind of turned a corner in a way for me that it could fit in with my worldview where I wouldn't feel like I had ingested something that made me feel icky. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I had gotten scared and then it gets resolved. I can go about my day going, not being worried because it's only a story. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful to have more different voices come through. Native voices, just all of the stories that publishers are now finally doing. So, because uh, that's been missing a long time. And so seeing, you know, Native persons in horror is, is I'm so excited to see that. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because the, the reality is, I mean, we've been there and we've been writing, we've been making up our stories. We, they just haven't been selling. Yeah. <laughs> and so to Nana Reeve do um who's you know a black woman horror writer is she and her husband Stephen Barnes when they met like 20 years ago and he was doing sci-fi stuff they were like you know eventually there's going to be a cultural shift where the stuff we're doing is going to be in high demand mm -hmm. and it's finally here mm -hmm. and I mean but it's been 20 years oh and yeah so, you know Stephen's stuff he's been writing for over 20 years people are almost like, oh, who is this guy? He's almost an overnight success, right? <laughs> but he's got 22 books or whatever, 22 novels and tons of short story collections and tons of short stories. So yeah, we've always been here, but um, it's nice not to be, it's nice to be more visible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so good that my kids have access to this stuff, mm -hmm. right? So that yeah. my daughter can read horror that's not misogynistic. My daughter can read horror that's, that's, that, leave space for gay people, leave space for black people, leave space for anyone, <laughs> really. So for good people, but yeah. who also want to be in the scary stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now would you say your, uh, the inspiration behind your stories uh, was some of the classics like uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or Bram Stoker's Dracula? Absolutely. All of, all of the above. Yeah. I'm huge huge Shelly fan. I know this isn't Shelly, but you know, my daughter got mm -hmm. me that little sticker because oh. I love the bride. I, you know, so it's not, just, it's the literature, but it's also the movies. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So the James Whale versions of Frankenstein and the bride. Um, yeah. <laughs> Those are big influences. What else? I mean, just uh, like, I have a story in there called me, uh, me and my monster, which 
I was living in Fort Worth and their urban monster was the goat man or the goat boy. And so in 1969, I think, or 68, um, you know, there was this whole rash of sightings of goat man and mm -hmm. all the kids from Pascal High School were driving out there to look for goat man. And so I was in a writing group, tiny writing group. And uh, this woman named Venus Monroe, she remembered being, she was a student at Pascal that year. And she's like, oh, I remember. And everybody was talking about Goatman and it was in the newspapers and stuff. Anyway, so so those kind of experiences, those local experiences um, are also universal. And so um, it's, it's fun to write into that world, write a character into that world and walk mm -hmm. around there. Even though I wasn't there in 1968, I can imagine it and send a character that to wander around in it, fall in love, break a heart. <laughs> so, and be sad. Yeah. So, have regrets. <laughs> now, did you always have the idea of having illustrations uh, alongside your stories? Um, that was kind of a dream. And actually I have a, I liked comics. I liked graphic novels. My husband was way more into comics than I was, but I was sort of picky about like what I read and stuff, but um, I kind of had moved away from it. But every now and then, like you'd pick up something like Fun Home or Mental Load and just I had read Blankets years ago. I was a teacher mm -hmm. at high school for high school in Dallas. And so I'd bring in graphic novels and, you know, kids who wouldn't normally read would just eat those up. And so and borrow them and lose them. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I think Ghosts or Black, yeah, Ghosts, Sheets. I can't remember what that one was called that just came out, well, it came out a couple of years ago, but um, I, I love those stories. And I also taught art and I like to draw and I like to paint and stuff and make baskets. And so I loved the idea of like some of these being, being told in a comic form and a storyboard format, mm -hmm. right? I did, one of the stories from there is in Howl, uh, Hellhound and No Man's Land. And the version in here is illustrated by Jordana George. I loved it. And, but man, writing comics is hard. <laughs> so it's like, you're, I only had eight pages, but I don't know how many pages of words with mm -hmm. you know, notes about uh, art were in there. I mean, I knew that there would be cover art. And so, you know, when you start thinking about that, you're like, but which image? I mean, there are 17 stories and some of the stories follow Ama, Ama, the vampire, and some of them follow, you know, her descendants or her, well, they're her descendants, but her sister's um, children and great-grandchildren and nephews mm -hmm. and nieces. And so I was like, what story, what, what would you put on the cover? Because there's so many options. And so Levine Carrito had purchased it and I knew they had done um, Darcy Little Badgers, who's amazing, a lot so -y her book there were illustrations and so i was like oh are we gonna have illustrations <laughs> will there be illustrations between the chapters they said yes i went to tell i have a picture book i've sold the heart drum uh called when we gather and so i was going to check on some of my cherokee language stuff because i'm not fluent i'm not an expert i am totally a beginner learner to see um the cherokee teacher there ed fields and ask him if a couple of words if if these were right, because they're Cherokee words stuck in English sentences. The language translation department said, hey, go get some posters, because Cherokee Nation does these gorgeous posters with you know all kinds of pictures on them and then the Cherokee word for them in syllabary. And so they sent me over to pick those up and Jeff Edwards answered the door. And I had, my husband and I had just been to Spider Art Gallery downtown and we had bought a bunch of art and Jeff 
was doing really cool stuff. And I didn't even put it together that I had just bought some art pieces by him, mm -hmm. kind of a Rosenstein inspired piece yeah. of goat, uh, of deer woman, and which was so funny. Anyway, so Jeff Edwards answered the door and gave me the posters. And so I got home and had talked to my editor and he's like, yeah, I think we can, you know, maybe start looking for an artist. I went by and saw him and I said, hey, would you consider illustrating like in between the chapters? And he's like, mm, I don't know. I don't like to be told what to do. Um, if people are going to be like, oh, can you change this? Can you do that? Can you draw this, draw that? He said, I, I can't do it. He said, I just, I just, he said, I don't, I don't know. And so, I don't think so. And I was like, well, are you sure? And I was telling him all about it. And I said, look, I'm going to send you a copy of the book. And he read it and then like, he read it like, he read it like three times. <laughs> he read it and then he just started making art and we didn't even have a contract, I don't think at that point. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, I, I like, I had gone home and then like, I met Jeff Edwards, I talked to him, I, here's his Facebook, he doesn't have a portfolio online. His stuff is amazing. Um, he would be, you know, if we could get him, it would be so amazing because he's so good and he cares so much about Cherokee language. He cares so much. I mean, he works in the language technology department. He does graphic stuff. He puts Cherokee stuff in all of his work and he cares about making Cherokee accessible to Cherokee people. And he cares about the language so much. I was like, I would just love it if we could get him. So he started making, so he, I guess he said yes, because he started making art. It was super exciting to get him and his work's amazing. Very nice. Yeah, I've, uh, I love the illustrations. So they just looked great. So now do you have a favorite uh, short story that you love to read or go back to or a, a writer that you really, really love? Oh, I feel bad because I've already mentioned it. But um, Darcy Little Badger's The Whalebone okay. Parrot is just, it's, it's one of my favorite stories in the world. Mm -hmm. um, Tommy's, Tommy Orange's There There is it's just, I think it's a perfect book. Therese Myatt's Heartberries mm -hmm. is, um, it's nonfiction. So essays, uh, memoir and essays, it's, I think it's a perfect book. <laughs> um, so anything by Stephen Graham Jones, you know, as soon as it comes out, I stay up late reading. So, um, I did just finish Beth Piatote's The Beadworkers, mm -hmm. um, which I I think it came out from Counterpoint Press, who also did Trees' book. And um, it's so cool. Um, I had no idea what to expect from the cover. And so I started reading it and it's like, it opens with some poetry and then there's sort of an, an, an essay, nonfiction, creative nonfiction piece. And then it switches to like microfiction. And then it switches to like short stories. And then there's a play. <laughs> and wow. it's like, she does everything and she does them all so well. I mean, mm -hmm. every piece is just gorgeous and so good. And the play at the end is just, I really love lately. I also just read, and I can't believe I've never read her before, Anne Petrie's The Street, which is an old book, mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, I think it's like 1946. So it's written about the time of World War II um, and it's, in New York, um, in the black neighborhoods in New York. And it had an ending that I wasn't expecting. Um, and so I would, it's almost, it's almost like a horror novel. <laughs> so with what it does at the end of it, I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. <laughs> so, but it's so good. And, you know, she does something that's kind of hard sometimes is like, 
creating characters who are um, your particular ethnicity and they're bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you create a villain or how do you create a person who's, who's, you know, how do I do a Cherokee person who's a villain without making the book about representation in a mm-hmm. way that, oh, this is what all Cherokee men are like, or, you know what I mean? Right, so right. That's, that's a really hard balance, I think, to strike. And so mm-hmm. um, her her book, it's just, you know, this woman and, and what she's going through, and it's a Black life novel, and then it has this kaboom ending. <laughs> and so, and it's just beautiful writing, so... I like to read. <laughs> That's why I went back to graduate school. So my job could be to read. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I work in a library. <laughs> and I, I love libraries, but I did. Um, I thought I was going to go to library school. When I was in second grade, I had a librarian who I loved and she set aside the ghost books for me. So she mm-hmm. said a lot of, like the Willie Folk St. John, any books like that she set aside for me. And so I was like, when I grow up, I want to be a librarian. <laughs> so <laughs> So I can give kids the books that they want. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you became a writer instead, though. So then we get all these great stories from you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And I love, you know, it's nice to see them in libraries. So that's really cool, too. That's mm-hmm. libraries are the best. Yep. So last question. Uh, what do you hope readers take away from your book? Something that's really important to me is reminding, well, I like I teach college uh, comp two right now. And I, when I was le- finishing class yesterday, I just wanted to remind my students that human beings are people of story and that we tell ourselves stories from the moment we get up in the morning until we go to bed at night. And then we dream stories. Mm-hmm. And so we care about story a lot. And so it's really important for there to be stories out there that you can look at and and see that maybe you could survive, that maybe you could not just survive, but triumph. Maybe, you know, what's really important is a story that builds community, um, a story that shows you what a community can look like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what's really important is for readers to figure out sort of what's important to them, what's their priority, and to tell a story, to rewrite their life in a way that that becomes their story. Yeah, well said. Our guest today is Andrea L. Rogers, and her book, Mad Made Monsters, is available right here at the Kirkwood Public Library or where amazing books are sold. Thank you so much for talking to us today. What up? That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thanks to Andrea Rogers for taking the time to speak to us here at the Kirkwood Public Library, KPL Podcast. I'm going to leave you on a quote by Stephen Graham Jones. He was an author mentioned many times by Andrea Rogers. If you're not a beautiful monster, then you're a villager. From his book, Mongrels. Stay tuned next week when we have author Alexa Martin talking about her book, Better Than Fiction.